Let's pray together before we take some time looking at God's word together. Father, this has been such a great time together already. And we've read your word, but now we're going to just focus all our attention on listening to your word, your voice, and receiving it. And we know that your word is powerful. It creates things out of nothing. It saves and sanctifies and frees, and I just pray that it would be in full power among us this morning. We open ourselves up to it. We ask for your help. Help us to be attentive to it and receptive and humble and soft-hearted toward it. Help me to serve your people well and help us to take it seriously. Your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. Our passage today is Revelation chapter 1, the second half of verse 5 and all of verse 6. And I want this passage, today's passage, to be our motto this Christmas, our slogan. Revelation chapter 1, second half of verse 5 through verse 6. Let's adopt this as our motto this Christmas. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That would be a pretty good goal for us to adopt this Christmas, and I think that we should. It's a call for all of God's people to unite in recognizing and celebrating Jesus Christ, his glory and his dominion, which means his, his glory means his praiseworthiness and his dominion means his power, his majesty and his might. So it's the call for us all to unite together in all the hectic nature of Christmas time under this banner, Jesus is awesome. He is glorious. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of our lives. He is majestic and mighty. All glory and dominion to Jesus Christ. So that invitation for us is, fr- is uh, framing three gifts that Jesus gives us. We think at Christmas time of the three wise men carrying gifts to the baby Jesus. Well, here we see three gifts that he has given to us. The first one, at the first part of verse 5, is that he loves us. It says, to him who loves us, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus loves you. Now, that seems so basic, it's almost tempting to leave it out of our Christmas service, so everybody knows that. But it's here in God's Word, and God's Word is living and active, and I really believe that this is His Word to you this morning, the Sunday before Christmas. He wants you to know that He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The incarnation is a demonstration of the fact that Jesus loves us. He emptied himself and took on the form of a man for you. He came to get you. He wants you to know it. Or the way he says in John 15, he wants you to abide in his love 
or live in his love. The same way a branch abides in its tree, he wants you to abide in his love for you. Now, in a room this size, I can guarantee that somebody in here feels unworthy of that love. And it may be that we all have some level of that feeling of unworthiness to be loved by Jesus Christ in that way. If you're thinking that right now, or if you emotionally are feeling that right now, that's probably good. I think you're close to fully receiving his love if that's how you feel. Because that's where Jesus enters your life with his love. It's at that point where you feel the most unworthy that he comes with his love. Jesus never enters our lives through the front door that's swept and clean and decorated and arranged to be perfectly presentable. He never enters our life through our Instagram feed. That image of us that we project He only enters our life with his love through the back basement door where the garbage is piled up and the laundry hasn't been washed and the broken things remain broken. He only enters through that door because he's here not to have tea with you. He's here to fix you. He's here to clean you up. He's here to make you right. And so if you feel some sense of, I need to clean myself up first, and then I can receive the love of Christ. I need to get my life together, and then I can receive Jesus' love. Then I can really enjoy his love. Once I've cleaned myself up, then I'll be worthy. That's not how it works. Your sin, the bad things you do, and the good things you don't, that's where he comes into your life with his love in order to forgive you. Your guilt, that sense that you've done something wrong, that's where he enters your life with his love to bring forgiveness and make you innocent. Your shame, that sense that not only have I done something wrong, I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. That's where he enters your life with his love, covering your shame, removing it, making you whole again. Which brings us to the next gift. The first gift is that he loves us, just plain and simple. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's true. The second gift, he has freed us. Verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Bible teaches that we are born into slavery to sin. That's just the facts of the human condition. We are born into slavery to sin. And that's true of every single person in here. Even the very best person in here was born into that situation. Even our precious newborn babies that we have in our midst have been born into slavery to sin. That is the human condition. That's why we struggle to live like we should. That's why in a couple of weeks, many of us are going to resolve that's it. No more gluttony, no more eating, I'm getting into shape, I'm going to the gym, and then within a week, statistically, we all will have failed. Meredith and I have on our refrigerator a whiteboard where we keep track of uh, appointments and dates, and on the bottom of it is written in a whiteboard marker, um, no sugar, 10,000 steps, 
no food after dinner. Some time ago, we decided that's it. We're getting our act together nutritionally. We're not going to eat any sugar. We're going to get 10,000 steps a day and no food after dinner. We lasted probably two hours, <laughs> really. A friend came by and saw it, and they were like, oh, are you guys doing this? And we just laughed. I mean, it's been up there for weeks, and we have been completely ignoring it. This is why we don't have to teach our children how to do bad things. We have to teach them how to do the right thing. We're just entangled. I remember when I was a kid seeing footage of the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Does anybody remember this? It really, these images were seared in my memory for some reason. I think that was the late 80s or early 90s. But one of the images I remember most is the image of a bird being covered in just this thickest, blackest oil trying to fly and not being able to. And I think that's a pretty good depiction of the human condition. This, this sin in us, it doesn't come from an oil spill outside of us. It comes from our own hearts and it, it spews and sputters up from our hearts out of our, out of our eyes and our mouths and the pores in our hands. And it coats us and it strangles us and it entangles us and it cuts us off from the relationship with God we were designed for and the relationship with other people we were designed for. And like these poor birds, we, we can flap really hard and we can pull it together for just a little bit, but then we fall back to the ground. Now, I don't know if it's true. I know the Dove, uh, is it Dove? Dawn, Dawn detergent commercials say that that's like the only detergent that can get oil off of things. I don't know if that's true or not. But there's only one solvent that can get this sin film, this viscous residue off of us, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. Now, it's a grotesque image, the blood of Jesus cleansing us. If you picture yourself like that oil-coated bird and nothing, water's not getting it off, uh, wiping's not getting it off, nothing, nothing is getting it off, and the blood of Jesus dissolves it immediately. It's kind of a grotesque image, but... It's how the Bible states it. And what it's getting at is the fact that the wages of sin are death. Sin is just very, very serious. Sometimes we don't think it is so serious because we compare ourselves to other people who are sinning worse than we are. And we think, well, at least I'm better than that guy. But it is very serious. God is perfectly holy. And so even one sin deserves death. And that's what all the Old Testament sacrifices were about. That's why they were constantly uh, bloody sacrificing animals. The Old uh, Testament temple wouldn't have been like this. It would have been almost more like a butcher shop. There was animals everywhere. Um, the the priests would have, would have likely been just covered in the blood as they did their work. And it was a picture to show God's people sin is serious. Sin is serious. And there's only one thing that can solve the problem, and it's Jesus Christ and his once-for-all sacrifice on your behalf. And through that sacrifice, if you are a Christian, he has freed you from your sins. Now, some in here are not Christians. And it may be that they are not Christians, and statedly so. I do not believe yet. I have questions, or for whatever reason. Or it may be that um, they believe they're Christians because of their association with church, but they've never actually received this cleansing freedom from sin. 
And to those, I would just beg you and entreat you and plead with you. Confess your sins before the Lord. You don't have to try to be good. You have to acknowledge that you're not. Just tell God, you know, I, I am sorry. I am sinful, and I need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me because I'm just covered in this. And he will forgive you and clean you up. He will empower you to turn away from your sin and to experience freedom for the first time in your life. Now, some of you in here are Christians. Maybe you've been Christians for decades, but you have ongoing unrepentant sin in your life because it creeps back in. In this fallen world, before we're fully sanctified, it creeps back up. Some of you have sin in your life, and this Christmas would be a great opportunity for you to remember that in Jesus Christ, he has freed you from that. You don't have to walk around coated and covered in that sin. That's voluntary for you now. You're not enslaved to it. I, whenever I think about this at Christmas time, I picture um, Jacob Marley in uh, A Christmas Carol. He's the ghost that's all covered in those heavy chains, right? Am I right? You guys have seen A Christmas Carol? Okay. And he's all clacking around. I, I usually picture the Muppet Christmas movie. And he's all chains jangling every which way. That's kind of the human condition, but in Jesus Christ, the, the lock has been undone and the chains have fallen loose, but often Christians will go back over to their chains and they'll pick them back up and they'll put those weights back on and they'll go through their life carrying this unnecessary baggage of sin. And for you, I just want to remind you of this awesome gift. Jesus loves you and he loves you so much that he, he paid to completely free you from that sin. You do not have to live in it. I understand it may be difficult to figure out how to get out of the chains that you have wrapped around yourself, but he can help you do it. He can help you do it. And if you're living in hiding in any secrecy because of your sin, because you feel like, well, if anybody knew this about me, they, they would be shocked. And we have all sinned and fallen short of God's perfection. Every person in here is in this situation. But we together can live in this awesome freedom that Jesus purchased for us. Some in here are living under a burden of false guilt because we have an enemy who likes to accuse us and likes to bring up things from the past and say, oh, you're going to church and singing Christmas carols, huh? Like you're holy or something. Well, remember this? Remember this thing you said two days ago? You're not holy. You're a sham. You're, you're a fraud. I just want to remind you if that's your situation that you don't have to listen to that accusatory voice. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you've repented of your sins and received that forgiveness from him, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's so good. The freedom is so full. The Bible describes it as our sins being removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And that's such a good word picture. How far is the east from the west? What's the measurement? Well, there is no measurement. There, it's directional language. It's infinity. It's so far removed from you. He says that he will never, he's not going to remember it. Now, it doesn't mean that he's literally forgotten that he couldn't remember it. It's that he chooses to never bring it to memory again. It's dealt with. It was covered by Jesus' blood on the cross. Some of you may have sin in your history from decades ago that you still lug around with you. If you're a Christian, that's gone. It wasn't lightly removed. It took the death of Jesus Christ for you, but 
That did it. And it's gone. You don't have to, you don't have to bring it back to memory. Because God doesn't. It is awesome to be a Christian. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your past performance. He sees Jesus's perfection. That's what it is to be a Christian. You note that that first gift, he loves us, was present tense. This gift has freed us. That's past tense. He has freed. It is done. It is done. It is finished. He frees us to become something more glorious than we would have ever dared to dream for ourselves, which brings us to the third gift. He loves us. He has freed us. And he made us a kingdom. That's what verse 6 says. It says, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. The Bible can seem really harsh sometimes about the human condition. I mean, here it's Christmas the Christmas worship service, and I'm comparing us to birds coated in motor oil. It seems harsh. It's not harsh, it's realistic, so that it can be hopeful. The Bible may seem way more harsh about the human condition than any other source of truth that you're going to get, but it's also more hopeful about human potential than any other source of hope you're ever going to find. Some of us in our secret fantasies may may dream of being great in some way. We may dream of being heroic or beautiful or successful or rich or whatever it might be. But the Bible looks way beyond those hopes for you to something way more glorious, that you could be part of the kingdom of priests. I like how C.S. Lewis paints a picture of the incarnation of Christmas. I'm going to borrow from him, I'm paraphrase from him. But he says, you know, what we celebrate at Christmas time, the baby in the manger, that was the true and rightful king stepping down into enemy-occupied territory in disguise, spreading a message to any and all who would lay down their arms and give up their rebellion against him would be accepted and granted amnesty and full pardon, and not only that, but welcomed into his kingdom with full citizenship rights. And in this kingdom that is sort of underground right now, but it transcends all earthly kingdoms, every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's been growing since day one, and it is unstoppable. In this kingdom, every citizen is a priest. Every citizen has direct access to God the king. But the window of opportunity is closing, and this king is going to return. He's not going to return as a baby in a manger. He's going to return as a warrior king on a white horse. He's not going to return in disguise. He's going to return with his glory and dominion evident to all. His praiseworthiness and his power, his majesty and his might will be evident to every single person. Which brings us back to where we started. These verses are a call for us to unite in recognition and celebration of Jesus Christ and his glory and dominion now. At funerals and after people pass away, it's common to hear people say things like, that's what he would have wanted. 
I've heard that a lot as I work with people through planning funerals and things like that. That's what she would have, she would have really liked that. But we don't have to guess with Jesus. Yes, he did die for our sins, and that is a past tense event, past tense event. But he arose from the grave and he is alive and he speaks to us through his word. And he says, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he is present. And so we don't have to guess what Jesus might have wanted. This isn't a memorial remembering Jesus. He is here with us right now. And from his own lips, he tells us what he wants. He wants us to recognize and celebrate his glory and dominion together. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We get to join that chorus now to shout with our lips and our lives, long live the King. Long live the King of Kings, our King, King Jesus. So if you would, Respond with me this morning if you feel moved that you would like to join this chorus and you would like to ascribe glory and dominion to King Jesus who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Would you stand with me? And we will read these verses, our motto and our slogan for Christmas time together. We don't do a lot of readings together, but I think it's a fitting way to end this sermon. Let's read these verses together with all our might, if we believe this, if this is what we want. I'll count us down so we can be on the same timing here. We're going to start with, to him who loves. Three, two, one. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, make this so in our lives and in our hearts. Let us above all else value Jesus. Let us above all else obey Jesus. He is our Savior King. He is the glorious one and he has all dominion and a power and authority over all things. We acknowledge it, we recognize it, and we're glad for it, and we celebrate it. Thank you for letting us be citizens of his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.